are listening to the Innovo Podcast, a ministry of Innovo Vineyard Church in Wichita, Kansas. To learn more about Innovo, you can visit us online at innovovineyard.com. We hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. All right, hey, it's good to see you this morning. I already scared Karen on her way in this morning. I yelled a hi to her, and she was walking on the ice being careful and almost made her fall. So, um, how many of you guys think we should let Jandria wing it every week? She did pretty good. That was kind of exciting, wasn't it? I, <laughs> that's okay. That's good. We tested our knowledge of what's going on around here. Well, hey, we're in a series called uh, A Year of His Presence, and we're just focusing on the presence of the Lord. Um, if it's one thing the church needs today, is just to be in His presence. If there's one thing that we need as people... It's to be in his presence. That's the most, one of the most important things for us is just to be in his presence. And uh, so we're just taking some time. I don't know how long this is going to go. And we're just going to look at places and people and events in the Bible um, where God's presence was involved. And today's going to be a little bit more didactic than normal. Yeah, you can set them right there. Thank you very much. Actually, give, let me get one of these things. Let me have one just in case so I can refer to it. Thank you. Thanks, son. And I've got a little chart for you here. You can refer to this and uh, take, feel free to take notes on it if you want to and hold on to this. I think it's going to be good for you in the, in the, in the latter days. But um, I want to start with, with part of my story. You know, I, 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 get, I talk about myself a lot, some of my stories and things I've been through. But um, years ago, Mary and I were at this point in our life where we were just hungry for more than just a regular church experience. And we just began just seeking what God had for us and going around the city and looking for places that were a little more charismatic than where we were at. And it's just hungry, you know, and we're just looking and saw some crazy, ridiculous things and saw some good things. But we ended up with this church in New Albany, Indiana that was really moving in the things of the Lord. They'd had a big revival back in the mid 80s and God actually showed up and it went every day for like 18 weeks and it totally transformed the church and God was just moving. And I was a person who gave my life to the Lord when I was nine and had been in the Word and been trying to follow Him, been in church, uh, doing okay. But I got to this, this church in, in Indiana, and you'd walk in and you would begin during worship just to feel the presence of the Lord. And I, remember I, would, I would just cry. It was, it was just like, what, what is this? I try to raise my hands in worship. I'd never done that before. And and just the motion would come, and it was just such, and you'd feel God's presence, and it was, sometimes it was affirming, sometimes he was challenging, but it was just this, I don't know, just this warmth of his presence. That, and I realized that God wants to envelop us in his presence. He wants to surround us with his presence. He doesn't want us to, us to have a little encounter with him. He just wants to surround us with who he is. And he would manifest his presence there uh, a lot. And in 1995, a, a vineyard pastor, I didn't know what the vineyard was, showed up at our church, our Baptist church named uh, James Ryle from Boulder, Colorado. And he taught on the presence of the Lord. And the Lord just showed up in my life in a way that he emptied me out. He turned me upside down. He rearranged me. He filled me and just changed the trajectory of my life. And you know our story, now, now we're here. You know, I was selling, 
I was a screen printing and embroidery on the, on the business, and now we're in the ministry and we're here. And I say that, all that just to say this, um, I realize that God's presence, his manifest presence is available to us. And he wants us to experience him. He wants us to know him. I think the tradition in which I was raised, which I loved, and they loved the word, and were a faithful people, but it was kind of like, well, one day we'll see him face to face, and then we'll encounter his presence. But in the meantime, we didn't talk about the fact that we can encounter him now, (laughs) and we can know him now. And it's transformative. And God wants to manifest his presence right in the middle in the life of his people. And that's kind of what we're talking about right now. Now, if I asked you, how many of you guys would like uh, to see an increase of God's manifest presence in your life, there'd be very few of us who'd say no. You know, we want that, but it can feel kind of nebulous, can it? It can feel like, you know, a little mystical or how do I get there? And fortunately, the Bible gives us kind of a pattern of uh, a a way that we can kind of approach him and, and be with him and experience his manifest presence. And it's found in Exodus, of all places, 25, verses 1 through 9. So let's stand in honor of God's word together. Uh, I'm gonna, it's up on the screen, and I think it's just a few, a few uh, screens of, of that scripture. If anybody can read one screen, and we'll work on this. Then so the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to take a contribution for me from everyone whose heart moves him. You shall take my contribution. This is the contribution which you are to take from them, gold, silver, and and bronze, violet, purple, and scarlet material, fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, fine leather, acacia wood, oil for lighting, balsam oil for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense onyx stones and setting stones for the ephod and the recipes. Have them construct a sanctuary for me. So that I may dwell among them according to all that I am going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture. So you shall construct it. All right, you may be seated. Now there might be a lot in there like, what's an ephod? (laughs) You know, acacia wood, you know, balsam oil. What's that all about? Well, here's the main thing I want you to get out of this. God wants to dwell with his people. God's saying, have them make me a house, a tent, where I can dwell with my people. And we know the story of the children of Israel. You know, they're in bondage in Egypt for over 400 years. God shows up with Moses to lead them out out of Egypt. Pharaoh said no, so God uses Moses and Aaron to bring signs and wonders. What were some of the signs and wonders he brought? You know, there was a plague of gnats, frogs, <laughs> all of our favorite things, uh, a plague of snakes. I think, I think they would have let the children of Israel go if there was a plague of snakes, you know, but that one didn't happen. Uh, locusts, water turned to blood, giant hailstones, darkness, and what's that? Boils. Boils. I mean, it was just a lot of wonderful stuff. And God just came strong to defend his people and to rescue his people and finally, Pharaoh said yes. He lets him go, changes his mind, chases him down. Uh, the iconic moment where, Isaac, where Moses stretches his staff over the Red Sea and it parts, 
and the people go through on dry ground, and then Pharaoh comes with his army, the most powerful army on earth, gets into the middle of the sea, and God just has it close and just wipes out the most powerful army on earth at that time, all for his people. And an interesting thing happened. A people got to see the signs and wonders and power of God on their behalf, but many in that group made a decision that they didn't want to come close. They saw what he could do, but they didn't want to get too close to him and become too intimate with him and to to know him. And when on the mountain, God really called the people to come up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments and meet with the Lord as God came down on that mountain with a cloud and with thunder and lightning. But they were scared, and they didn't want intimacy. And they said, just send Moses up. And they stayed at a distance. And I think that's a problem for us sometimes. I think it could be easy for us as the people of God to say, well, you know, reading my Bible is enough. Going to church is enough. But we're not really willing to step forward in intimacy with the Lord and come close and really get to know him. And yet that's what God wants. God says, build me a tent right in the middle of the people because I want to be with them. What does God desire? To dwell with his people. That's what he wants. He wants to be right there in the middle of them. And here's these people, they're, they're moving forward. And if you read the stories about them, these people were stubborn. They were ungrateful. They would get angry when God didn't do what they wanted him to do. But God still wanted to be with them. They were unbelieving, you know. And for us, even though we're a people in progress, you know, we're in process, we still have a lot of rough edges. I don't know about you, but I make a lot of dumb mistakes. God still wants to be with us. It's an invitation for God's people, just don't know about me, I want you to know me. (laughs) I want you to come close. And I think a key to experiencing his presence in our lives is learning to build a tent or a tabernacle in our personal daily lives. Making a place, creating a place to meet with God and to be with him. Now, do we have any builders in the house? Like to make stuff, do some construction. Got one there, got one there, some others. This is good for you guys. Uh, Because the way God lays us out, he gives a pattern of how to do this. But a lot of it's left up to personal creativity. And and, and you have a say-so in how this looks and how it happens. And uh, God loves creativity, and we're all wired different, and we're all made different. But the general approach to the Lord is the same. So for the children of Israel, they were to build a literal tent or tabernacle right in the middle. For us, we have to figure out how to build a tabernacle in our lives. So God says to them, I want you to follow a pattern. He says it four times in Exodus. And it needs to be movable because they're going to be moving a lot. They're going to be journeying from place to place, and they're going to be on the move. And if you're like me... You're not a static person. You're on the move. How many of you guys are on the move a lot? You're, you're busy. You're going places. You're doing stuff. Uh, I, I ran into a guy this week. I met a guy who had just moved into a patio home. You know what patio homes are? Kind of homes for older folks as they're trying to settle down. Don't have to cut the grass. They do the landscaping. There's pickleball courts. Anybody play pickleball? I've never played pickleball, but pickleball and, uh, get, you know, gatherings of the older folks and it's just an easier way, all on one story. And, 
you know, he was, he was kind of moving in, and we just got to talking a little bit, and he says, this is an adjustment for me. I said, well, tell me about that. He says, I've lived on the same farm my entire life, just north of Woodard Mercantile on Mays Road was my family farm, and it's time to come in from the farm. And he was in his mid-80s, and he says, I've never moved before. <laughs> I thought, well, that's kind of different. You know, I don't know about you, I moved six times before I was five. Uh, Mary and I moved like eight times since we've been married, different cities, different houses, and so we moved a lot. But this guy was struggling to adjust. We are, we are for the most part, a mobile people. Man, we're moving, we're, we're literally moving sometimes, uh, we're always on the move, and this pattern for a tabernacle is made for people who are moving, who are busy, who are active. And I think God's saying to us, some of us experience God's presence on Sunday when we come to church, but I want, I want you to know that we can experience God's presence every day, everywhere we go, on the move, we can build our tabernacle in our car, at our workplace, at school, everywhere we go, we need to learn to build a tabernacle and commune with him. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. Now, another cool thing about the tabernacle we're going to look at, we have the privilege of looking backwards at the cross, don't we? We know what Jesus did for us. We know what he made possible for us. Back then, Jesus hadn't come yet, so the tabernacle was pointing towards the coming Messiah, so many of the articles of the furniture. But uh, it, it works both ways for us. So we're, go we're gonna look at this today. And I want you to invite, I wanna invite you to look at me um, with this pattern and see what it looks like. And we're gonna take a step. So you got your little chart here. If you're heading into the tabernacle, this was an awesome place because this was the place on earth, one place where God says, I'm gonna manifest my presence but I'm going to be there. You can come and meet with me. And uh, there was a cloud over the people 24-7 and a pillar of fire. And man, the pillar of fire was right there connected to the tabernacle and the cloud. So you didn't just casually come in with your hands in your pockets chewing gum. Yeah, let's just go into the tabernacle for a while. You know, you come with a sense of awe and a sense of the fear of the Lord because, man, God is there. And we're going to meet with him. And that was part of it. And uh, so they'd start with the door. And I was thinking, we each have to make a decision to meet with the Lord, to step into his presence. He's not going to force it on us. And so they had to come to encounter him. So you walk in the door on this diagram at the top one, the, the red curtains are kind of where you'd come in. On the bottom one to the right, you'd walk in and there was a door there. And the first thing you would see is this altar that's right inside the door, it was called the altar of burnt offerings. And this is where sacrifices were offered. Burnt offerings, sin offerings, wave offerings. And if you're doing our Bible reading together, today we read in Leviticus chapter 1, 2, and 3, and it kind of goes into these in detail. And it's kind of cool. But on this bronze, this bronze altar, there were... There was a continuous fire going on this altar, never went out, burning 24-7. The priest kept it going. And when you came in, you would smell the, the fire and the smoke on this altar, and you'd also smell something else. Because I want you to imagine walking into this tabernacle with me and going through it. You'd be hit, first of all, by the smoke and the smell of burning animals. Now, I've, 
Anybody ever burn their own hair? You know, that's quite a smell, isn't it? <laughs> you know, burning hairs. You can't imagine animals burning on this altar. And I want to tell you what happened with this because people get confused. When a worshiper came to the tabernacle to meet with the Lord, they'd often bring an animal for sacrifice because this is what's on God's heart. Now, there is a lesson for this. There has to be a payment for sin. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. And that keeps us from the Lord, and there needs to be a payment because God wants to be with his people. So God told the people, and this is pointing to the coming Lord Jesus, bring an animal without defect. I want you to bring it, and this animal is going to basically die in your place. If we had to pay for our own sins, we wouldn't be alive, would we? So bring this animal, bring it to the tabernacle, bring it to the priest. We're going to tie it up. We're going to put it on this brass altar. Um, you're going to come and you're going to put your, your hand on the head of this animal. And you're going to thank the Lord. God, thank you that this animal is going to die in my place so I don't have to die. And you'd worship him. And it sounds gruesome, but then you would take, I think it didn't say the priest did this. You would slit the animal's throat. The blood would run out. Cut the animal into pieces. Put it on the altar. Some of it went for food for the priest. It wasn't just a... You know, just, just the slaughter of animals. But that blood pointed towards the coming of the Lord Jesus. That really his blood is the only thing strong enough to make us right with God and to give us forgiveness. It was all pointing towards him. But it was an animal pointing the way. Now, I'm glad that every time we come to church, we don't have to sacrifice an animal, aren't you? It'd be kind of expensive. It was expensive. You know, if you, if you sacrificed a bull, it was probably the, the price of a small car, you know, this, these were expensive, and it was just kind of, it was a striking picture of what God was willing to go through with this. You know, every time we come before the Lord Jesus, in a sense, we, we start at an altar. We start with the Lord Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. We start with his sacrifice for our sins, and we realize that God's heart is not, he's not mad at us because of that. He doesn't hold a grudge. He's like, oh, those rotten people. I had to sacrifice my son so they could come into my presence. It wasn't like that. Jesus went joyfully to the cross. I don't understand that. He did it for us because he loved us. And when we come to him, it's like the Lord smells that offering, that sacrifice of the, of the death of the animals and the blood. And we have free access into his presence because of what the Lord Jesus did for us. But they had to do it through an animal. And Jesus wouldn't come to 1,400 years later. Uh, but I think it's on his mind. And then there's a the whole aspect of this. There's, we could do a day on, on every piece of furniture in the, in the tabernacle. But isn't there this sense that when we come to the Lord Jesus, it's like, Lord, you gave everything for me. Lord, I put myself on that altar. <laughs> Lord, I'll, I'll do that on a daily thing. God, this, my day is your day. Lord, what do you want me to do today? Lord, give me encounters with people today that I can minister to. You know, we put ourselves on the altar. God, whatever you want to do, change my direction. Take me anywhere you want to take me. God, I'm on the altar. It starts with that brass altar. And then they come to this next thing you'd see on the top. Um, it was like a giant bird bath. And it was called the laver. And we talked about this with baptism last week. The, the, the principle of the mikvah came out of that. That the priest 
before they would go in to minister to the Lord. And really anywhere in this courtyard you could see on the top picture was available to, to the Jewish people to go in there, but you couldn't go into the, the actual tent that was the holy place. It was only for the priests who'd minister to the Lord. Now, we have access now because of Jesus, but in that day it was only the priest. So they would come to this giant bird bath, about 10 feet wide, and they would wash. Um, they didn't take a whole bath because the altar had purified them. They would wash their hands, and they would wash their feet. Now, remember when the disciples are sitting with the Lord Jesus before he went to the cross, and he took the basin and the towel? What did he do? He, he washed their feet. And uh, was it Peter that said, God, wash all of me? And he says, you don't, you don't need to be washed all over. You just need your feet. Because as we journey through life, man, we get pulled into some, into some garbage. You know, we, my issues are a focus issue. My focus goes everywhere, you know. And, and we struggle and we make mistakes. And God says, when you come into my presence, you know, let me wash your hands. Let me wash your feet. You're clean, but we've been through some stuff. One of the biggest scriptures, the most important scriptures for my life when I started to follow Jesus was 1 John 1, 8 and 9, and it says this, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us, but here's the good part, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what someone taught me to do when I was a new Christian was memorize that, and when you screw up and you just come in to pray and be with the Lord, confess your sins, the things you've messed up. Now, the goal for us is the more I follow Jesus, the less I'm going to have to confess. <laughs> you know, as we follow Jesus, the one thing his presence does, he purifies us and he changes our desires. He works in us to where we're not craving all the things we used to crave. Still have some cravings, but it's not like it used to be. You know, we get better and we sin less is the, is the goal because God's at work in our lives. But we still mess up. And we just simply confess. He's made it so easy. Because what God did on the cross was so hard and so difficult and so big and so all-encompassing. We just have to come to him and say, God, I, I confess my sins today. My thought life, some things I've done, um, my mouth used to be a big problem for me. It's not as bad. I used to be really sarcastic and cut people. But I'll still, st still say things that are, you know, crude or common or disrespectful. Or like I think one thing, Ashley, you were saying, my words weren't lining up with the promises of God sometimes and what I was confessing. So I'll just go and say, God, man, <laughs> you know, I just, we don't, have to, we don't have to like cover every little thing. You know, sometimes you're doing good and some of us, we're trying to find something. Now, if it's on your mind, confess it. And we do that. And that's what the priests would do at the labor. They'd wash their hands, they'd wash their feet before they'd go into the presence of the Lord. And they'd enter this tent. And it was a tent because it was mobile. The people were on the move. They'd, they'd pack this thing up and take it with them. This is a mobile tent. Don't have to be in church to do these things. Don't even have to be the, in your home. We, we take it with us. And there was this actual tent was called the holy place. Probably a little smaller than this room that we're in right now. You'd walk into the holy place. You're in the courtyard. There's the altar. You smell the animals. There's the laver. You wash up. And then you walk into the tent. 
And could you imagine what that would feel like in that day? You, you go through the curtain and you're in that holy place. You know why they call it the holy place? Not everybody got to go. And the presence of the Lord was just there. And I think you would just feel it the second you walked in. And you'd walk into the holy place and you'd come into uh, another piece of furniture. By the way, there were five pillars holding up that tent. And it was covered with animal skins, dyed different colors with diagrams of angels and cherubim all over. And you'd hear the outside because it's just a tent, it's not a roof. If it was in Kansas... It'd really be a mobile roof, wouldn't it? It'd be, it'd be moving. But I, I bet it flapped in the breeze, and you could hear the sounds of outside, and a little bit of sunlight kind of coming through the skins, but it was a holy place. And you come to two articles. You'd come to, and it's on here, and the top diagram is actually wrong, I realized later. There's this little thing, the altar of incense was not in the front, it was kind of in the back. The, ta- the diagram on the bottom is, is actually a little more accurate. That you come to a table that had bread on it. It was called the table of the showbread or the table of the bread of the presence. Now everything in the holy place was covered with gold. Every table, every article of furniture, the walls, everything was covered with pure gold. It was a visual, stunning sight. And on this table that was covered with gold, there were 12 loaves of bread sitting on this table. They were made with un, with, without leaven, so they were round kind of cakes of bread. 12, you know what the 12, why there were 12 loaves of bread? 12 tribes of Israel. Make one for each tribe, set them on the table. So you come into the, into the Holy of Holies, and I love the smell of fresh bread. I don't know about you, you know. Uh, I did a talk on this once, and I had a, had a bread maker in. And while we were talking, you could just smell, you know, the bread cooking. And when I got done with my sermon, the bell went ding, 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 and the bread was ready, and it was just the perfect thing. Then I did, an, I did we'd do four services. Then the next one, the bread machine caught fire. And I don't, know, I don't know what that illustrated, but it was not good. It was the altar, it was the altar of bread. Uh, but anyway, uh, the cakes were renewed every Sabbath. They'd put new ones out, so they'd sit there for seven days, and they stayed fresh. And, and on each Sabbath, the priest would eat the bread. And what I love about this picture is the bread didn't do anything. It just sat there and soaked up the presence of the Lord. It was the bread of his presence. And I bet it got fresher during the week. I don't know. But isn't that something that the Lord does for us when we get in his presence? Is we're people that make a tabernacle and we just soak in his presence. Man, he, it's, just, it's just enriching and it's energizing. And there's a sense that, you know, Jesus did the work on the altar. And yeah, we've messed up a little bit since then, so we wash our hands. But then we walk in and we soak in his presence. And he's doing all the work. <laughs> And we become people of his presence. You know when Moses, well, I'll come back to that. That's, kind of, that's, that's, that's one for later. Uh, but it, that's something that we have to do as a people is we have to just learn to sit in his presence and soak it up. Now, I don't know if you're good at that or not. Again, I told you, I'm not a static person. I'm on the move. It's hard for me to sit still. We used to go to Mary's house when her parents were alive. And 
Uh, my family was a do-something family. We'd go canoeing, we'd go biking, we'd go for a walk. We just didn't sit in a room and stare at each other. Mary's family was a talking family where you go and you sit and we talk for hours. We'd sit and we'd talk. Then we'd go eat, and we'd come back, we'd sit and we'd talk. I'm like, somebody turn on the television, can we play a game, can we go for a walk? And they had this art of just being together and sitting together and not doing anything, but just being together. And they were talking and telling stories, and, and it was really cool. But one thing that we have to learn to do as a people is to be like that brother of the presence. Uh, we have to go and just be in his presence. We have to just go sit and soak and commune with him. Uh, I do what's called a quiet time where I start my day by just going before him. I have my chair. You've heard my story. I have my red chair. I go and I just sit and soak in the presence of the Lord. I might read the Bible. I might pray. I might just sit. But I intentionally try to tune into him and just listen. And sometimes it's just quiet. And sometimes, man, it's pow, 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 pow. God's just speaking. And that's, that's kind of the, my it's my tabernacle, it's the place of my time with the Lord and soaking in his presence. When we moved to Illinois, we stayed at a bed and breakfast, and there was this lady named Dixie, and we stayed with her, and she was a godly lady who loved the Lord, and, I, it's, and it's weird, but I just remember going through her bed and breakfast, and there was this, and I trying to find a place to have my quiet time, and I sat in this chair, and it's, it's hard to explain these kind of things, but I'm sitting in this chair and thinking, do the presence of the Lord is on this chair. I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. And I, I, think, I bet this is where Dixie has her quiet time with the Lord. So I went to breakfast that morning, and I said, hey, Dixie, I had, had my quiet time in there, and I sat in this chair. And I was wondering if I, could, if I could buy that chair from you guys. And she goes, oh, no, 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 that's where I have my quiet time. I said, I knew it. I knew it. I could just feel the presence of the Lord on that chair. It was her holy place where she would go and make her tabernacle with the Lord and be there. But we learned to soak in his presence a little bit. Then next to that was a lampstand. You can see that right next to it. And this was cool. This was one piece of solid gold with uh, seven little arms that came up. Uh, it was 75 pounds, so it wasn't light. And it was about five feet tall. And it, they kept it burning all the time. There was a little funnel for olive oil that would come into it. And it would keep the lamps going. And in this picture, you see the priest kind of coming in and, and trimming those lamps with the oil and, and keeping it going. And uh, if you've heard the story of Hanukkah, that they were almost out of oil, and it kept on burning all the way through Hanukkah uh, miraculously with, with no oil because they were out of oil. And that's kind of where that, that celebration came from. But it speaks of the work of God's presence in us. One of the cool things about his presence is, yeah, we come and we soak, but we also dialogue and interact with him, and we ask him for wisdom and advice as we go through the day. He, he wants to illuminate us what he's doing around us. He wants to, if you ask him to show you, God, what's, what are you doing in my office right now? What are you doing in my classroom? God, what are you doing in my family? And he wants to show you what he's up to, what he's doing in places. There's times that we just need some wisdom and advice. God, what do I do about this? Car just broke down, or this happened, or this is kind of weird, this happened, or someone's sick, or I'm, I'm struggling with something. Lord, what are you doing here? Because he loves us, he's not paying us back, but we go through struggles. God, what are you doing here? 
Part of our interaction with the Lord and our drawing near to him is learning to interact in the daily struggles of life. You know, today we just kind of like, man, some of us are going through some stuff and some of us have some need and, and we could try to just suck it up and deal with it on our own, but no, we're going to take it to the Lord. There's times we cry out, God, I don't know, why is this happening? What are you doing, Lord? And we take it to him. God, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand where this fits. And there's some desperation sometimes. And it's an opportunity to dialogue with him and, and get some counsel. He'll fill you with counsel for others. You know, it's easy, I'll say this as a pastor, it's easier for me to give advice to other people than to take my own advice sometimes. It's, it's easier to help somebody else than to help myself and deal with my own issues. And we've got to do both. But he'll tell you things for people, you know. And as we're in this place with him, this, we, 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 again, we soak up the presence of the Lord. You know, when Moses went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, the second time, he came down and his skin actually glowed with the presence of the Lord. And the people said, man, tone that down a little bit. So he would, when he'd go and meet with the Lord, he, he had a veil on. So when he met with his, his team, his people, he had a veil over his face because they complained about his face glowing. Isn't that weird? But he'd take it off when he met with the presence of the Lord. And he, and he, he took this glow on from God's presence. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, but if the ministry of death, talking about the Ten Commandments and the law, engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit that we get to enjoy today fail to, be, to bring even more glory in our lives? See, there's a sense that when we soak in the presence of the Lord, we soak up his glory. I don't understand all that. But people that spend time in God's presence and love him, and God's presence is a priority, and they don't want to stay at a distance, they want to come close, they soak up his glory. And, and you can see it on people. You can see it on their chair when they have a quiet time. You can see it on people who are just, man, these people, this person's sold out to the Lord. Now, I've talked about this before. There's this attractiveness that comes over you. And I don't mean it like a, a physical attractiveness necessarily, but people are drawn to people who are in the presence. People want to be near people who are in the presence because um, God's presence is attractive to us. And we get to soak that up. Uh, I don't have time for this, but I want to throw it out. There's also a burning that takes place in his presence. The fire of the Lord burns us and marks us. Then you come to this golden altar of incense that's in the wrong place in the top diagram. It's right before you went into the last veil, the last tent. And it was a simple box of wood, about 36 inches high, covered in gold, because everything in there is covered in gold because it was holy and it was, it was precious. And all they did was burn incense on this altar. So the priest would go in, they'd tend to the bread of the presence, they'd go over to the, the lampstand, they'd make sure that's, that's going, they'd pray and they'd worship. And they go to the altar of incense. There's a special incense that God said, make this incense just, just for me <laughs> and burn this incense on the altar and keep it burning 24 hours a day, seven days a week on my altar. And the priest would go in and keep that incense going. And again, that smell, got the smell of the bread, got the smell of the incense. And you know what that incense represents is our, is our prayer to the Lord 
our interaction with him. It's like, a, it's like a sweet smell to him. What does God want? Dwell with his people. What does he want? Interaction with us. Prayer. You know, sometimes prayer is just rehearsing our worries, I know. <laughs> you know, Lord, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong. But it's in that interaction with him that he loves it. And it's like incense that goes up to him. Daily conversations. God speaking to me, me talking to him. Sometimes it's one way, sometimes I can hear it. Sometimes it's a whisper, sometimes it's a shout. We share things from our day. If you don't know what to talk to God about, just talk to him about what's on your heart. What's important to you right now? Just start that dialogue. Revelations chapter 8, 3 and 4. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Our prayers, especially our corporate prayers together, are like incense that goes up to the Lord. It just touches his heart. It blesses him. You know, we meet and we pray here on Tuesdays. This is corporately coming together, spending time together in the presence of the Lord. It's sweet. It's sweet. It's also sweet when you pray with your family during the week. Just have family, some family prayer time. It doesn't have to be some big structured thing. It's also sweet when you're in your quiet time and you're just talking to him. It goes up like incense and God values that. And it's awesome. Because God wants to connect with you. And it's also a picture of the Lord Jesus interceding for you. Hebrews 7.25 Therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. And this is what the Lord Jesus does for us. Then you'd come to another room within the room. So imagine if there was, if this is the holy place where you guys are at, uh, let's just say the stage, there was a veil that covered the last part of the room. And it was a thick curtain. And I can't remember how thick it was, maybe you can tell me, but it was a thick curtain that separated the holy place from what was called the most holy place. Now remember in your diagram, the courtyard, any Jewish person could go into the holy place, only the priest could go, and into the most holy place, Moses had access, and he could go, but after Moses, one priest, one time a year, would take blood off of the altar, the brass altar in the front, and he'd come in, and the Ark of the Covenant was there, and he'd sprinkle that ark with the blood from the animal and it pointed to the coming of the Lord Jesus and his blood (laughs) that would cleanse us of our sins and make us right with God once a year now it's interesting because the priests would wear bells on their garments and they'd tie a rope to their leg (laughs) what's that all about because when they'd be in there if, if, they, if they went in rashly into the presence of the Lord, you know, I, I mean, we, we understand that we have access, but I think we come casually sometimes. If those guys came casually into the presence of the Lord in the most holy place, man, they were toast. If you heard those bells stop ringing, oh, George the priest, man, he must have had some hidden sin going on in his life, and they would pull on that rope, and they would drag his carcass out of that room. And it was, the, it was the holiness of the Lord that we probably need to understand better, but it was his presence. 
You know, I say the Lord manifests his presence to us in layers and in degrees. If God just showed up in this room, unveiled who he is, no, not only could no one stand, we'd probably disintegrate. He is so powerful. He is so holy. He makes himself presentable to us in ways that we can handle, you know. When, when I first started in youth ministry, we were praying, and the power of the Lord was moving through people. I mean, you ever see people just fall over from the presence of the Lord? We'd be praying, and people just start falling over. Then it got to be a thing where people were falling over all the time when we prayed for them. And it's like, no, you're maturing. You're growing. You know, what was in you before was so far from the Lord that you were reacting to that, the holiness of God, and it was short-circuiting things, and you were just kind of falling over. But you're learning to stand in the presence of the Lord, so I want you to stand up. I want you to take that prayer. I want you to stand in the glory, you know, because we learn to grow and we learn to stand. But the holy place was amazing. And in there was the, was the ark, which is where God would manifest his presence. And as we've been reading in Exodus, the Lord would go into that, or Moses would go into that place, and God would speak to him from on that mercy seat that was on top of the Ark of the Covenant. That's where they would dialogue, and he'd give Moses instructions. And that was really cool. But something cool that happened, and most of you know this, when Jesus died on the cross, and all this was pointing towards him, and we look back, because every, every piece of furniture should remind us of him and what, who he is and what he's done, that at the moment he died, the veil in the, temple court, in the temple was ripped from top to bottom that separated the holy place from the most holy place from top to bottom. It, you couldn't rip it by hand because it was so thick. It tore open, and God was saying, um, the work is done. Those of you who want access have access. And it's our privilege not just to be saved and to know the Lord and to be forgiven of our sins, but not to stop there. Not to be, hey, I'm going to heaven. I can live a reckless life. I can do whatever I want. And I'm, hey, I'm good. You know, I don't even know if I believe that. But I can, I can go deeper. I can go farther. And I guess my question to you would be, how far do you want to go into his presence? You know, some of us stop at the brazen altar. We just talk about salvation all the time. Some of us talk about holiness and we talk about the labor. Some of us experience and talk about his provision and we have to trust him. And God will let you go through times of need so you know where your bread's coming from. That it doesn't come from man, it comes from him. And then we have that, camp, that, that lampstand of his presence and the, and the, and the wisdom and we don't have to take access to that, but we want to. And then we come into the incense, and we, have, and we have intimate times of prayer with him. And then if we dare, we come into the holy place, and, and, we, and we love him, and we experience his presence. And there's a cost, because the deeper you go, <laughs> the more things fall off of us, the more, the more we, our desires change, and we just get to the point where we just want him. We just want him. Everything good flows out of his presence. So my question to us today is, are you pursuing the presence of the Lord? We're going to talk more in the coming weeks about people and how they experienced him and how the, the presence of the Lord in different ways impacted their lives. But today I just wanted to ask, how, how deep are you willing to go to experience him? Are you willing to say, God, whatever this journey is going to be, I just want to know you. Moses said to the Lord, God, don't just send us on this journey without you. If you're not going with us, I don't want to go. <laughs> I don't want to go if you don't go with us.
So are you pursuing his presence? When the temple was completed, a really cool thing happened. The cloud of the presence that was over the people rushed into this house and filled it with the glory of God, and everybody had to vacate. (laughs) They had to get out of there because the presence of the Lord was so thick and you know, trying to put, choose words for this is kind of hard sometimes, that even Moses, who talked to God face to face, he said, I couldn't be in there. The presence of the Lord came. My prayer for you is that you'll be a person so passionate about the presence of the Lord that you'll make your altar with him. You know the Lord Jesus. You'll, you'll wash in the laver. You'll, you'll soak in his presence like the bread. You'll come for wisdom. You'll find intimacy in prayer. And you'll go through the veil and say, Lord, I just want to be with you. And that the cloud of his glory will just, not just fill your life, but will envelop you and surround you the way that he wants to, so that you can truly become a person of his presence. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you today. And we know that that words fall short, uh, not just describing just the magnificence of the tabernacle and what it represented. But Lord, just our relationship with you and all that you do for us. God, we love you today. We thank you that you made a way for us. God, I thank you that your heart is to be with us. And Lord, as a church, as a people today, I just want to say that, Lord, we want to be people of your presence. Lord, we want to keep making room for you. We want to keep experiencing you. Lord, we want to be people that don't stop at the door but Lord, just want to fully enter into your presence no matter what the cost, no matter what it means. Lord, let you be our leader in every way. Lord, I pray for those right now who the result of staying at a distance a little bit has just created some dryness. And Lord, you're, you're just stirring them right now. Come a little deeper. Come a little deeper. Lord, for some in this room, you're pointing out a specific article of furniture right now that they need to come to. It might be prayer. It might be just soaking in his presence. It might be the laver where you wash your hands and your feet. Lord, you're pointing out a specific piece of furniture right now because you're drawing them to that. And Lord, we just want to be obedient and just go where you tell us to go. Thank you that everything you do is out of love. And Lord, your leadership over our life is amazing. God, we worship you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.